Uh, on Sunday nights, we have been all throughout 2015 working on this series of uh, training the 12. And the whole idea of the series, as you know if you've been here for any one of them, is that we're really trying to look at the lessons that Jesus taught specifically to the 12. What he wanted them to learn, and, and out of that, what lessons we can draw. As we bring 2015 to a close, we come to the upper room, that final place where Jesus shares his last meal, his maybe his last goodbyes, uh, and final thoughts, final directives. If you could really boil everything down that Jesus had said and taught and tried to convey to them over the last three years, that's what he's trying to do. Here in the upper room, no small task, but it was apparently what he said was so impressionable, especially to the Apostle John, uh, that he spent uh, more than a fourth of his book uh, recounting those lessons of that final night. So I think it it is a good way for us to end 2015 to talk about uh, those lessons which Jesus uh, gave to the apostles that night. Now we have said so far, each of these little pictures up here kind of represents uh, the first is the towel and that was where Jesus washed the disciples feet and we talked about how uh, that doesn't just represent good Christian service projects there's more to what Jesus did that night that he was recounting to them a message of the gospel and that if we uh, like Peter refuse to be washed by Jesus we can have no part of Jesus We need him. We all need to be washed. Then uh, we talked about the bread, the bread of betrayal uh, that Jesus specifically shared with Judas as he was pointing out who would betray him. But that, as we pointed out, eventually all of the apostles would partake of. uh, And hopefully the lesson was not lost on them or us that at some point we all have betrayed Jesus and we are called to love as Jesus loved. We're called to, in spite of Betraying one another and even in spite of betraying him uh, to love through that betrayal. And then last week we finished with the lesson of the sandals, really the empty sandals, where we talked about how Jesus was telling there was going to be a time when he would no longer be with them and that we would need faith to overcome our fears. We need to and we talked about the difference between uh, trust and control. And how we, or fear and faith, and how we respond out of that. We're going to have fear, and we want to take control of everything. If we're going to have faith, then we learn to trust Jesus. We learn to release control, understand that that control really is an illusion. And that we, like the apostles, had to learn to trust that Jesus was with us and is with us even when he's not. Tonight's lesson is a little more difficult, uh, not so much because of the lesson itself, but just simply because I've had these pictures for, that kind of encapsulate each of the lessons. And tonight we're talking specifically about our helper, our friend, our guide, the Holy Spirit. What picture do you put here that, that adequately conveys what Jesus is trying to teach in a way that's not irreverent? Of who the Spirit is. I had in mind maybe, you know, fishing line and, and little doves flying through the air. And I just thought that might be a little distracting. I thought, you know, I'm just going to leave it empty. Because 
Because Jesus, in John chapter 3, when he was meeting with Nicodemus, he compared the Spirit to something. He compared the Spirit to something that is invisible and yet very, very powerful. I thought, I'm just going to leave it empty. Now, you know it's invisible and very, very powerful, right? If you live in Kansas for more than 30 seconds, the wind, right? I couldn't turn on the air conditioning full blast, but fortunately, I happen to be preaching what seems to be the windiest day in all of human history. And I thought, this is a perfect day. The Lord has really set this up perfectly. About 20 years ago, uh, they were making plans and beginning the, the, the process of building the structure that we are in now. And you and I take that for granted. Uh, it's well built and well thought out and a lot of good things about it. Very useful. Not big enough for all that we do, but, but it's very useful, very helpful structure to us. One of the things that's very uh, useful, I think, is the fact that we have two sets of double doors, two, these glass doors that you leave and, and enter from. Now, if you thought about that, do you know why that's there? Some of you nodding your head, very engineering-minded. We know why it's there. Some of you are on the architectural committee or something like that. It's an airlock is the purpose. Okay, The purpose is to keep the wind from blowing things over and knocking things over. In, the, in Kansas, especially on the southern entrance, you get a good wind coming through. Well, you can do a little damage. You can let out all the nice cool air or, or let out all the nice warm air. And Sometimes you go in the foyer it's like, oh, man, it's a nice breeze going through here. This morning, we had a pretty good wind going. Still kind of have a pretty good wind going this evening. And uh, that lock, that airlock, instead of having one door open and one door closed, both doors were open. And what happened? Wind came through and did a little damage. This is the remnant of a little clay decorative pot that was out there. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But as I watched that and folks were picking it up, it occurred to me, that's what Jesus was saying about the Spirit. Not that he's going to break a bunch of things. You're missing the lesson. What he's saying here is the Spirit, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he says, like the wind. You can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going. You, can, you can't see the wind. You can only see the effects of the wind. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a, a tornado or a twist or something like that from afar, hopefully, if you have, or seen one on TV. But you're not really watching uh, the actual twister. What you're seeing there is the, the vortex of the wind. You're seeing everything that that vortex kicks up. That's how we're able to see it, but we really can't see it because the wind itself is invisible. Well, Jesus, when he told his apostles about the Spirit, he was... Uh, he was telling some deep, difficult things. And uh, the problem when we get into deep, difficult things is, especially on the religious side of things, we think, well, that's a little weird. I'm just going to step back from it and kind of ignore it. Unfortunately, we do that to our detriment. The spirit uh, that we're going to talk about tonight has a wonderful, uh, numerous things which he does to help us. And Jesus was saying that the, the helper that I'm going to leave with you is going to do numerous things to help you and guide you. And he's going to let you really do far greater things, as we said last week, not in power, but just in scope. 
It was only how is how are you ever think about that? How are these 11 guys going to fulfill the mission that Jesus had for them when on the night before he left, they're getting ready to all turn tail and run? How are these 11 going to build the kingdom? Well, it's going to be because of the one he's talking about, the helper who he uh, leaves with them. So these big pictures are what we're thinking about tonight. And as we turn to John chapter 14, verses 13 through 26, we're going to learn how we can do what Jesus said to do. If you're in your Bibles, hopefully you're there. John 14, verses 13 through 26. And I would do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's a powerful promise. And Jesus is going to go on to explain here. Sometimes we take this verse out of context, so keep reading. Verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father And you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But, verse 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now to understand this picture that I put up there, it's very dark. And I did that on purpose because I think this is where things get dark for the apostles. They realize for the first time in three years... Jesus won't be there to answer their questions. Jesus won't be there to reassure them when they have doubts. Jesus won't be there physically to show them what to do. And Jesus is trying to reassure them that though I'm not going to be with you, I haven't left you. The apostles felt abandoned. Uh, Jesus is leaving them. And and he says, I want you to know that you can ask anything in my name. What does that mean? I mean, does that mean Jesus is some sort of mythological creature wearing a red coat who gives us whatever we want? Ask in my name. Is asking with Jesus authority? 
Jesus' motivation, with Jesus' desire. It comes out of a sincere, not a fleshly, selfish, motivated kind of desire, but an asking with the desires of Jesus. When you think about how Jesus is getting ready to pray in the garden and the things which he will ask the Father for, he asks several things, but he always asks them in line with the Father's will. Even to the point of saying, Father, I don't want the cross. I don't want the separation from you. And yet, if that's your ultimate will and there's no other way, I'll do it. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus says if his disciples, the eleven, I even believe us today, ask in his name, ask maybe someone who knows him, then he will do whatever we ask. Uh, Not to fulfill every selfish whim and desire. No, of course not. To give them the strength, the courage, the power, the help that they would so desperately need to launch what would be very soon a worldwide kingdom. In just 40 days or so after his death, things are going to rock and roll. Things are going to change the world. You and I are here tonight thinking about Jesus and, and recalling his promises, even though most of us in here, I think, maybe 100%, are Gentiles and we're, we're doing that because of the mission that Jesus sent the eleven on and that he told them about that night. Oh, they were going to need lots of help because they couldn't do it on their own. Maybe I'll throw this out there as a way of explaining. So yesterday I asked Grace, uh, it was time for she and I to go do something together. Tyler and I had, had gone Thursday night to go see the, the Star Wars movie, Don't judge me. And so I said, okay, Grace, we'll go do something just you and dad on Saturday. So she gets up from the, from her rest and I said, okay, what do you want to go do? And she said, I want to go skating. As you might well imagine, uh, all of this on ice skates is a, is a picture of, of beauty and grace that you can't imagine. I said, Grace, I tell you what, we may do ice skating. How about let's, let's start out with roller skating. How about that? So she agrees to that. We go roller skating. Now, she has never been before, and it's been a little while since this guy's been. But we go to Roller City, and we get out there, and we get, on our skate, get our skates on and step out there onto the wooden floor. Now, she's never done this before, and I have done this before. And so what do I tell her to do? Grace, take my hand. Now what am I doing is I hold her hand and I skate. And it's not pretty. You know, it's, it's a pig on skates kind of deal. But I'm skating real slow and I'm holding her hand. And I'm helping her learn to do something she's never done before. I'm giving her the courage to go and to do something that she is kind of scared to try. That Her body and her mind says, we shouldn't be doing this. And we're skating along and, and we make one lap and, you know, she's, she's going, let's go again. And we make two laps. And by this time, Dad's sweating profusely. And so we, we kind of go around. I say, okay, we get to kind of the, the, the smaller end. I say, Grace, now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to let go 
I'm going to be right beside you. And I want you to skate just along this short end here. I'll be right beside you. I won't let you fall, but I want you to try to do it by yourself. Put your hands out, you know, kind of. And so she does, and she takes these little tiny steps. This is what is happening to the apostles in a very imperfect analogy, understand, okay? Um, Jesus is much better at skating than I ever will be. It, It is Jesus telling the apostles... You can do this. I've picked you. I believe in you. Just do what I said to do. I'll be right here with you. It's the apostles saying, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this or not. It's Judas saying, I'm not doing it at all. It's all of them, the the remaining 11, saying, man, this is is a lot. I don't know. Jesus saying, I'm going to let go of your hand. I'm not going to let you fall, but I need you to do this. And they take little baby steps, and that leads into the book of Acts. And it's all throughout here that Jesus is still beside them. Now think about this. For the rest of the night, as Grace and I skated around, I never left her side. Now, sometimes I would hold her hand directly, and sometimes I would let go just to let her do it on her own. This is what Jesus is talking about, or the best way that I can help us understand, is that Jesus is saying, I want you to do this. And they're saying, I I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. And Jesus is saying, you can do this. I'm not going to let you stumble. I'm going to be right here beside you. I'm not going to let you fall. If we can understand that, then maybe we can assuage the apostles' fear about being left alone. And how did Jesus do that? First, he promised them... A new helper. He promised them. See, the, the, in the New Testament, the word most often used whenever we see the English word a Holy Spirit, many times is the Greek word paraclete. Um, think about the word parable. A parable simply means to throw alongside. When I just told that story about Grace and I, I said, let me throw this out there to explain it. Okay. The reason I did that is because the word parable means I'm going to throw this alongside. Paraclete means one who comes beside. And so Jesus said, I'm going to send a paraclete. He's saying, I'm going to give you someone who will be beside you. Now, Jesus himself is also called paraclete. John chapter 2, verse 1, he's referred to as an advocate. The word there is the same word, the paraclete. Jesus and the Spirit both did the same thing. Jesus did it for three years while he was incarnate. And now Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper. And the word there, alas, means additional helper. Not like additional as in uh, more of. If I say, uh, if if I had pizza for lunch and I hadn't enjoyed my slice and I said, boy, that was good. I'm going to go get another piece. I'm saying I'm going to get more pizza uh, versus saying I'm going to go get something. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Uh, Jesus is saying I'm, I'm giving you another helper, saying I'm going to give you more of what I've been giving you. The simplest way to say it is saying you are not alone. Uh, he refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. As an advocate, uh, the le- it's a legal terminology here. I don't want to get too much, sw- stray too much here from uh, il- illustration-wise, but um, 
Well, who's someone who legally advocates for you? Like a lawyer, right? And a lawyer is someone who you hire and they have your interests at hand. Legally speaking, they're they're bound by their oath to do everything within the parameters of the truth and the law to advocate for you. That's, That's the spirit. Uh, in the terms of the prosecuting counsel, he's the one who brings conviction. And in terms of the advocating counsel, he's the one who pleads the case for you. In all, in all situations, he's the one who tells you the truth. Attorney-client privilege, you know. It is, it, if you ever have to use a lawyer, that attorney-client privilege means you can talk to your lawyer about anything. And, and that's private between you two for the purpose of... Him being able to tell you the truth and being able to give you the best case in court. He is one who has our best interest. And finally, Jesus says he is a guide. Counselor, lawyer, advocate, guide, if you're a filler-outer. He is someone who, this is what I was doing with Grace. I was holding her hand and I was guiding her around. I wasn't leaving her to herself. And when there were times... When she would get to going too fast and her feet would go out from under her, I was there to hold her so she didn't fall. I was was the guide. Jesus also said that the Spirit is not accepted or known by the world. And this is interesting to me because sometimes in Christianity, that's how we address the Spirit. We say, oh, Spirit, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, we almost get the worldly attitude that we're not going to acknowledge or address or even really believe in the, the spirit. And so, I, I don't know, I haven't been around long enough, but to the best of my understanding, the reason that came about is there were lots of people several decades ago who looked at this empty space and they said, oh man, that means we can speak in tongues and do miracles and just go crazy. And the rest of the religious world looked at that and said, if that's the spirit, no thank you. I'll just go right over here where we ignore him. Well, uh, you know, responding to bad theology with more bad theology only leads to bad theology. So Jesus here is, is promising the Spirit. Nothing wrong with believing the Spirit. We just need to have a correct understanding of who he is and what he does, not just the apostles, but for all of us. He lives within us is what Jesus uh, promises to understand this, I, I use an illustration from Jeff Walling that I just think really is great. So follow along and hopefully this will help you understand. In the beginning, God created human beings. He created you and I to be in perfect relationship. Everything that was perfect about that created world was centered around this God-man relationship. It it was a perfect garden, perfect provision, perfect climate. Everything was wonderful. But the most perfect part about this part of creation is where the Scripture says that God, uh, that Adam and Eve walked with God. There was perfect relationship. They were close. Then in Genesis chapter 3... Man moves all the way over here, and there's this great separation, which is limited by the size of the stage, but uh, there was a separation between God and man. 
And the story of Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the Old Testament is God moving closer. Not mankind doing anything to get any closer. It's God coming closer. First through the law. Remember on Mount Sinai when he gave them the commands and he said, come to the mountain. And, and that Moses went up the mountain and God, God's presence came down to the mountain and he gave them the law. And then he dwelt within the tabernacle, which was this beautiful, ornate tapestry woven together for the express purpose of the presence of God moving with his people. And he's getting closer. And then, then they build a full-size temple. And it is beautiful. And the, the Solomon's temple was absolutely uh, a thing to behold. I wish we could still see it. But the whole purpose of it, again, was the place where God dwelled with man. And then that temple was destroyed. And there was another one that was rebuilt. And then, as we think about and the world thinks about so much this time of year, uh, came this time where God was going to be with us in Christ, Emmanuel, that's what his name means. It's the culmination of trying to restore this relationship. Now, we think it's done right there. This in the upper room, the apostles think it's done right there. This is what they think. We're going to walk beside Jesus. He's going to be with us. We're going to be unstoppable. And we're going to restore the kingdom of Israel and overthrow Rome. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts all this, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave. And they're going, what? We just got you back. I'm going to die, I'm going to leave, I'm going to come back, I haven't left, left you, and I'm going to send another one. And where's he going to dwell? Within you. And no longer is the power of God going to be limited to one man or one man and his 12 students. It's going to be within disciples. And as they spread the message all over the world, the, the spirit lives within each of those people who have been um, repented of their sins, who have been immersed into Christ. And now they're not only forgiven of their sins, but they carry the spirit of God within them. Think about that. Just look around here. Stop looking at me for a second. It's getting awkward. Look around around at each other. Go ahead. Look around. Look to the left. Look to the right. See, if you're looking at people who have been baptized into Christ this week, the next 168 hours that's to come, they're carrying Christ everywhere. Think of the power and the influence just within this room when the Spirit of God dwells within us. He has moved from one man to 12 men to all over the world. And this is why when the apostle says to the church at Corinth, be careful how you live because your bodies are what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. It's now not within a building. We can meet anywhere. Anywhere that the followers of Christ are with whom the Spirit dwells, His work, His will can be done. Now, as we think about him dwelling within us, we have to remember this is not anything magical or mystical. 
This is after the time of miraculous need. All, listen, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that all the, the speaking in tongues and the miracles and the prophecies, all that was going to pass away. And it, it has. That doesn't mean the spirit has passed away. He still indwells within us. Listen, if you're a good Church of Christer, and I, I think most of you are because you're here Sunday night. Acts 2.38, we know it very well, right? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think we do ourselves an incredible disservice to latch so tightly onto baptism and forgiveness of sins, but when it comes to the Spirit, we go, eh, I don't quite understand that guy. Jesus promised it to them as he promised it to us. He resides within us, not above us, not beside us, but within us. It's beautiful. Everything he does, there we go, everything he does is designed to help you. First, he teaches you to be better. He teaches you to be better. Okay, when I think about who Toby was 25 years ago when a nervous 12-year-old stepped onto the edge of a baptism and barely understood this whole idea of Jesus and the church and grace and salvation and all of that. I, I understand so much how God has made me better, not by my own power, but through the Spirit working within me, who I received that night, who has walked beside me and dwelt within me and has been right there holding my hand when I've fallen, when I've stumbled, who's been right there guiding me, bringing things to mind, pointing things out to me from Scripture, just as he did the disciples. Jesus taught the disciples all along the way. I've been here all the time, verses 23 through 25, say, I've taught you, but now I'm going to give you one who's going to remind you of those things. Verse 26, he's going to teach you, he's going to remind you of everything that I've taught you. The Holy Spirit helps you know the things that are not possible for you to know. Number two, he counsels to become stronger. He doesn't just teach you, he counsels you. The counselor is, again, the one who speaks and who tells you the truth. He's the one who advocates for you. He, he doesn't want you to fall. The best illustration I can give, is a very poor one, is, is parents with their children. I, I, I counsel my children. I tell them things they don't want to hear, not because I'm a Mr. Mean Dad, but because there are things I want them to know. I want them to avoid certain pain. I, I want them to learn lessons more quickly than I did. The Spirit helps us in the same way. He counsels us to, be, to become stronger. From a spiritual perspective, the Spirit is the one who knows Christ best. And you think about how do you know about Jesus uh, I know about Jesus from what everyone else has told me. I know about Jesus because of Matthew through Revelation. But outside of that, that's all you know about Jesus. And one of the things the Spirit does is to help you to know Jesus better because he knows Jesus best. 
And he's the one, because he dwells within you, he knows you most intimately. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your thoughts before they come actions. He, he knows the parts of you better than you know you. And he dwells within. So the Spirit uh, teaches us to be better. He counsels us to be stronger. He reminds us of what Jesus said. And more importantly, verse 21, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And I used to look at that, John 14. I thought, man, if I love Jesus, I just got to obey his commands. If I just obey, 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 which is great. I felt like I really loved Jesus as long as I obeyed all the rules. But I felt disgusting. I felt horrible. I felt so far from God when I fell short of the rules. When I was unable to obey. And the Spirit's there to help us. Keep us when we fall, when our legs go out from under us, to hold us. Uh, come on, let's go. To be honest, grace fell a couple times. And I can see that look of, of panic, like, uh, uh, what did I do as her dad? Come on now, come on. Get up, you can do it. Use that little toe break. Put yourself up. Come on, you can do it. I didn't let her stay down. I like to think this is what the Spirit, how He works within us. It is true that if you love Jesus, you obey His commands. But there will be times when you do not love Jesus like you should. And the good news is you have a Spirit who helps you, who advocates for you, and who, when you do mess up, and you will, will pick you up and say, Come on, let's go. We're not going to stay there. We're not going to stay in our stumbles and our messes. We're going to go on. We're going to try to be more like Jesus. And finally, he improves you and makes you greater. He teaches you to be better. He counsels you to become stronger. And he improves you and makes you better. How does he make you better? He brings you closer to Jesus. I wish I had time. We don't. But it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, if you want extra credit sermon-wise, you can turn to there right now. Come up and tell me afterward how you turned there and how, how good you did. Paul says that the Spirit does some things um, within us. He gives us greater understanding. He works within our minds. Again, this is not supernatural. He works within our minds to help us understand things. You ever read through a scripture, doing your daily Bible reading or something? And maybe you've read through the scripture many years. And you read a scripture and you go, that was not in there the last time I read it. What is that? That is the Spirit. He is working and he's saying, pay attention here. I need you to remember this. He helps us have better understanding. He gives us words by the Spirit. Jesus said to his apostles, don't worry about your, what you're going to say when you're brought before the councils. When you get there, you'll know what to say. Now, these are untrained tax collectors and fishermen. These are tradesmen. These are not people skilled in the language of debate. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. 
We're watching all the presidential primaries right now. Maybe. I don't know. What do all those candidates do for hours, days before the debate? They prepare because they want to be ready for any possible thing. And the apostles said, what are we going to do? We have to come before these really smart guys who know lots about the law, and we don't. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you the Spirit, and he is going to help you remember things that I told you. He's going to help you to say things that are smarter than you. You ever do that? You ever have a conversation with somebody, and as you're talking to them, you say something that's smarter than you? And you start thinking, wow, I'm really good. (laughs) No, you're not. The Spirit is within you. He gives you greater understanding. He gives you far greater eloquence. He gives you new thinking. If you're turning in your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul there says to the church at Ephesus, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules, against the principalities, against the forces of this dark world. The Spirit tries to say, Hold on a second. I need you to not get all focused on things of this world. I need you to focus on the things of the next world. That's what the Spirit helps us to do. He gives us greater understanding. He gives us greater eloquence. And He improves our thinking. So that we're not just thinking about the flesh, but we're thinking about things of the Spirit. When you are smarter than you, when you do things greater than you know how to do, when you get more power than you, again, not supernatural power, but when you get strength for the day that you didn't know that you could face, there's someone working there. And Jesus called him a helper and a counselor. He helps you in prayer. He helps you in your speaking. He helps you in your answers. He helps you in your thinking. So we want to embrace the Spirit Not because of some folks got it all wrong and twisted up the theology of it and ruined it for the rest of us. We need to re-examine this promised space right here. And remember and be reminded that we have a helper. You can tell where the Spirit dwells. We are called to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit. If we look at Galatians 5, the Galatians 5 just spells it out for us as clearly as we can see it. How do I know if I'm walking with the Spirit, this invisible guy who lives within me? How do I know if I'm walking according to him? It's what Galatians 5 spells out very clearly for us. This is where we're going to finish. Galatians 5 Verses 19 through 21 says, here's the fruit. We're not talking about citrusy goodness here. We're not talking about apples and oranges and bananas. We're talking about fruit meaning the result. The fruit is the result of of anything. And specifically in, you know, if you're living by the flesh, Galatians 5 says, here's the results of living by the flesh. Here's the kind of behaviors and actions you see when you live According to the flesh. And when you live according to the Spirit, he goes on to say, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 3, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. What, what is all this? Is this just because you're a wonderful, good Christian? 
Not at all. I mean, you may well be, but it didn't happen by your own effort. What happened was God put a part of himself within you to get you to have a fruit-bearing life. So when you see a Christian being loving or kind or gentle or faithful or patient or self-controlled, you're seeing evidence of walking by the Spirit. The same Spirit that Jesus promised the apostles. Do not be disheartened. Do not be afraid to ask for whatever you need. Jesus promised we have a friend. A paraclete, an advocate, a counselor, a lawyer, an advocate, a guide, a friend who has our best interests at heart, just like Jesus did. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, I want to invite you to come and we'll tell you about Jesus and and show you what he's done for you. That you may put him on in baptism, not just that you might receive the forgiveness of all the sins you've ever committed and all the sins you will ever commit, but that you might also receive the promised spirit to live within you, to help you, to guide you, to walk beside you. You don't have to do it alone. The good news is you have a friend. If you need a friend, I want to invite you to come. I'll meet you down front, help you with anything that we might be able to serve and help you with. Have any need, please come as together we stand and sing.